0: First of all, my name is Jim, I'm the campus pastor here at Woodside Lake Orion. so great to have you, see you, thanks for joining us. Uh, First of all, if you're new, thanks for being here with us, we're so glad you're here, and um, we're just excited that you took time out of your week, an hour out of your week, sometimes more like an hour and ten minutes, depending on how this goes on Sunday, but you took an hour out of your week to be with us, to spend time with us, and uh, worship God with us, and so we're glad you're here, and uh, I'm excited to be able to open up God's word with you now, in the moments that we have. Uh, Together, And I know that today is Family Sunday, and all the parents in the room are like, yes, that's awesome. Thank you for letting us keep our children in the service, and uh, I know that you love that. And seriously, uh, we do that a few times a year, mostly on like fifth Sundays. I don't want you to mark those as not coming to church those Sundays, but the fifth Sunday. Because uh, we think, A, a couple of things. Volunteers are important, and they give every week to help steward and walk alongside your kids. It's not child care, but they're investing, partnering with parents to lead children to follow Jesus. At the end of the day too, uh, it's just a nice moment. We think it's a positive thing that your kids are in the service with you sometimes to be able to hear and walk through the service with you. And so uh, just a few times a year, but we're glad that you're here with, with us in this room. And I'll just say, man, if your kid gets a little rowdy, it's okay. If they run down the aisle, they won't distract me. It's all good. We're glad they're here with us, and uh, we're so excited that we could all be in the same room uh, together. So if you want to turn to First Timothy, if you have your Bible with you, First Timothy chapter 2. If not, we'll have it on the screen as well. And we're going to continue in our series on First Timothy this morning. But before we do, uh, man, I just want you to wrestle with me for a moment in some things that I wrestle with as an individual, as a parent, as a father. And it's this, the thing that I often wrestle with is as a Christian, as a a person that's uh, aspiring to follow after the ways of Jesus, I'm, I'm constantly wrestling with this. I'm wrestling with what parts, what aspects of the culture that I live in do I adopt into my life and which ones do I not? And specifically, more as my kids have entered into, my oldest has entered into the teen years, having conversations with her as a 14-year-old now, like, okay, what parts of the culture that you experience every single day at school and in life should you be adopting as part of your life? And always having these conversations of like, I know that your friends may do that or experience that or, or the family functions in that way of your friends at school or sports or whatever, But we are constantly going back to or trying to with our kids to go back to God's Word and say, but at the end of the day, this is what God calls us to. And so if you ever thought about that, just wrestle with for a moment, like what parts of the culture we live in, it's not, I just want to be very upfront, it is never the church against culture or church against the world. God has planted us in the places we live for a purpose and at the end of the day, there's a lot of amazing good things that can be a part of our lives. There's always this wrestling of which is and which isn't. And I would say the greatest rule that you can apply to your life that I try to apply to my own life is that when culture or when what we experience in the world around us bumps up against the word of God in, in, in contrast to it, that's where I say, okay, I get it. I get it. But here's where God's word says this. And this is where God calls us to live in this way. I'll just be honest with you, you know if you have kids, that's a lot easier for me to understand than it is for my young kids when they wanna do X because this is what their friends are doing or whatever it may be. But there's always this constant wrestling as a follower of Jesus of where do we fit in? What parts of the world are we a part of? What what parts of culture do we adopt as part of our lives? The church even itself within not just the four walls but the body that is called the church because church is really people, not a, a place. What parts of that do we adopt as part of our way of life? And today we're going to get into that in a passage in First Timothy chapter two, as Paul's wrestling with Timothy around the same idea. If you um, remember, over the last number of weeks we've been walking through First Timothy, kind of this in-depth verse-by-verse section, or walking through all of First Timothy in a series we called Church. Why bother? And honestly, a lot of people are like, why would you name a series starting the first of the year uh, asking people why bother come to church? And I told you the first week, part of the reason why is because when you poll most Americans today, it's a question that they're wrestling with. What's the point? Why should we gather? Why do we need to come to church anymore? Can I just watch church online? How should the church function in in the 21st century? All these different things, and we think that 1 Timothy has a lot to say in regards to this and so we want to show you over the last last couple of weeks and the coming few weeks the great value of the church as a great gift that God has given us as the people of God and so just quick if you're new or if you haven't been around quick highlight this is an intimate letter that the Apostle Paul is writing to his his little son in in the faith as he calls him his son in Christ a son in the gospel a younger pastor who's trying his best to be a pastor in a very pagan city the city of ephesus you can read ephesians and when the apostle paul planted a church there timothy is his son of the faith who's not trying to pastor this church in ephesus and he's forced daily like every single day to contend with all kinds of false teachings and all these different ideas and he wants them to be equipped. The apostle Paul wants Timothy to be equipped like I would be to lead this congregation, for Timothy to be equipped to lead the congregation in Ephesus and his heart is there to how to discern truth and error. As we shared the first week, kind of the purpose of the entire letter from Paul to Timothy is found in chapter three when he says this, I hope to come to see you soon, but I'm writing these things to you that so if I delay, you know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and it says buttress, which means foundation of the truth, that the the, the church should be a pillar and a foundation of truth in the community it lives in. And I hope that the people I look at this service and the next service and the many different people that aren't here in this Sunday, as we are the church here in Lake Orion, that in, in this area, we, we are seen as a, as a pillar and a foundation of truth. That's my heart. That, that should be our heart as we read 1 Timothy. And, and so we started last week in looking at 1 Timothy chapter 2 and seeing how we should be um, people of prayer that prayer should be a vital part of the church. Um, and Friday night, I hope you're able to come down with us to our Troy campuses. Tons of people gather just to like sing and pray as we enter into 2023 and just give everything to God. Whatever our aspirations are, none of them will work if God's not in them. And so last week we looked that we're supposed to be people of prayer. That when we come together, we pray. We're not independent of God. We don't live self uh, Uh, self-reliant lives. We're fully dependent, and part of the way we show we're dependent is actually praying. Like, if you don't need anything from God, you won't pray. So man, if you're people, if you're an individual here that never prays, I'll just be honest with you, you probably don't need God much. Because prayer is one of those things that shows that we are dependent on God, whether we even acknowledge that we are or not. And so today we move past that idea of prayer, and we'll deal with it in part in verses 8 through 15. And, And the Apostle Paul here is is emph- emphasizing conduct and behavior of men and women who profess to be followers of Jesus. And he paints this picture of a gospel-formed life. What I mean by gospel is the gospel that Christ came, he died, he rose again, and he, and he went victoriously to heaven. One day we'll be there with him as he restores all, thing, like all things. Our lives, as they're formed around that, really shatters worldviews of what it means to be a godly man and a godly woman in Christ. And today we want to look at those things. Now, I'm going to be completely transparent with you as I try to be most Sundays. This text is not without controversy. Uh, This text has a range of views that have been argued from the most traditional to the most progressive. And um, my heart, and I would ask for yours as well, as we look at this text, to see it and look at it within its proper context, also within the lens of which it's being revealed through the Gospel as we seek out to be men and women of Christ as we walk uh, with God in this place and other places that we do life. and. Um, Man, I'll just say from the onset, I was going to say at the end, but I'll say it now. Man, at the end of the message, if you're like, if you have some questions, things you want to chat about, man, I'm always and willing. I would love to meet with you. I'd love to talk in the Lord live. I'm not saying, people are like, man, what is he about to say? (laughs) But I'm always willing. If you want to email me, that's great. I I won't discuss via email, but I would love to discuss in person, have coffee with you, whatever it may be. But I just want to put it out there because there are differing perspectives. And ours is trying our best to form the perspective from the Word of God, and that's it. And, um, and I would love to have a conversation with you, and I'm just throwing it out there if it comes to that. Um, but I don't think it will be at the end of the day. So, we just got a laugh out of the young one up here? That's awesome. All right, so in, in verse 8, I just want you to see two things. Looking at men first, as the Apostle Paul dives into speaking to Timothy on how he should instruct men in Ephesus... He starts with men, and we're going to start there ourselves. If you look with me in in verse 8, this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. So the first thing that I think we should draw from this for men is that men should be known for their spiritual passion. We should be known for our spiritual passion passion. So the Apostle Paul starts with men here, and apparently there's some men in Ephesus and men in their church that are quarrelsome. They're filled with anger and aggression, and they're arguing, and there's disputing in the church, and so that's what often happens. The Apostle Paul writes to actually deal with different issues in the church, and he says to Timothy, this shouldn't be so. This isn't the way that men should actually conduct themselves, and he calls them to abandon the way that they may see other men living or not, and, and live in proper context, the way that God calls us to, the word anger that He uses here in the Greek, it implies violent emotions that come as the result of unholy passions. Violent emotions that come at, at the result of unholy passions, and I think Paul's wise enough to know that man, if there's going to be, if there's going to be a church, there is no way that the church is going to be able to really succeed or thrive if there's constant quarreling or or bickering or brokenness or anger or whatever it may be within the men in the church, because ultimately it's going to cause division and infighting, and there will be no success of the church. You see, when you read this at the end of the day, men in their time in the first century church, specifically in Ephesus, the reason why Pastor Paul is addressing with Timothy is because there are men in the church that are being led about more by the passions of the world than the pattern of Jesus. So there's men that there in the church that the Apostle Paul wants Timothy to address that are being more led by the passions of the world or the pattern of the world than the pattern of Jesus, than the pattern of what God calls us to as men at the end of the day. So instead he says... I want you to be known instead for anger and quarreling. What does he say? He says, man, I, I, I wish you would be known by this. He admonishes the man. He tells the men, like, men, I want you to realize what God has done in your life and now how you might function and how you should function out of that. He says, instead of anger, that men in the church should be known for their holiness, for their following after Jesus, for their passion to follow after the lord so instead of quarreling he says you should be lifting up holy hands blessing one another really at the end of the day when you look it up the reference to lifted and elevated hands is a very much a posture of prayer as we go before god so a lot of different people like man why do people lift up their hands when they're singing well number one in the scriptures it's actually asked upon us it's commanded of us as we go before the Lord. Number two, it's a posture of dependence as we pray, right? I mean, at the end of the day, when your little ones, I don't have little kids anymore. Most of them are pretty uh, big for me to hold them. But when they come up to you, when your kids come up to you and they want to be picked up, what do they do? Yeah, they lift up their hands. They're like, hey, mom, pick me up. Dad, pick me up. When they're hurting or they're broken or they're crying, what do they often do? And they want you to pick them up. So our posture In prayer, our posture, I would say even in singing, it is to the Lord. It's really prayer at the end of the day with music. Our posture to the Lord is our hands lifted up because, Lord, at the end of the day, what I'm singing about, I'll never be able to uh, um, fulfill if it's not for you. God, at the end of the day, no one else is, is worthy to be worshiped but you. That's why I lift my hands. At the end of the day, Lord, today and this Sunday, I need you. That's why I lift my hands in holy hands and prayer to the Lord. That's why. It's not because of fanaticism or anything else it's because we see it in the Word of God and at the end of the day the Apostle Paul is saying we as men should be known for our holiness and our prayer as we express ourselves before the Lord and the question should be asked like why in the world does Paul first address men we address as men uh, one individual Commentator writes, and I think he's right, he addresses men first because they are to take the lead in calling down heaven to earth. I mean, this last week was prayer week in our church, where we asked you as a family to pray, and man, I hope that men in the church took the initiative to lead their families in prayer. My hope is that, that this is something we actually take initiative in, that men are called to be leaders in their homes and in the churches. That it's important to God that we function this way. And God has entrusted you men. Well, I could speak to you for a moment. He's entrusted you a family to steward for the kingdom of God. He's entrusted you as men, as leaders in your families and in your church, in the community or wherever you are. He's entrusted that with us. So, so before I go on, I just want to ask a question. For you men today, ladies, that's not like you don't pay attention anymore. You might even amen during some of these sections. But like, men, if I could just ask you today, what are you known for? Like, what are you What are you known for? Because the Apostle Paul, in writing to Timothy, is, is getting to the point that So men in Ephesus within the church, or a large majority of them, that's why he's writing about it, are known for their quarreling, anger, passions after the wrong things. And he said that shouldn't be the case. What we should be known for is men of holiness, holiness who are lifting up holy hands in prayer and leading out in this way together. So just think about that for a second. I want to give you a second. Like, what are you known for? And what are men known for today? And I could say a lot of different things, but at the end of the day, there's a lot of men known for passivity. And I'll just speak to the church for a moment. Forget about whatever, outside the four walls of the church. Today in the church, there's a lot of passive men. that don't take the responsibility God has given them seriously. Amen. Hey man, when you look at it, there's a, there's a lot of men that lack spiritual depth. And you can just look at it. We can have a Bible study sign up for the fall. There'll be like 200 women and 10 men. Right? We'll have a prayer night in this room. They'll be predominantly women and very little men. But there's a cultural problem within the church even today. There's a lack of of leading families in their homes, and that's I think actually culturally across the board. A lack of men assuming their role as dad and as husband in their families, even outside the church, to lead their families well, to protect their families, to, 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 to be there for their families, to, to, to be actually vulnerably emotionally for their families. I mean, I'll just be honest with you, the same is within the church. There's a massive hole in the church and the lack of leadership of men in their families and we lead all the time there's tons of men in this room that lead at work they run a business they own a business they 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 they're a top executive at his business or they might lead in a different way and there's something and I'll just be honest with you I know what it is satan does everything he can to get you to not lead in your home so that your home won't be led the way god calls you to because there's something weird Men have no problem leading every other area of your life, but then when it comes to your home, there's some breakdown. And I, I'll just be honest with you. I'm not telling all you. I'm telling all you because I have my own issues. My wife was standing right here singing. If you want to see who she is, and she's sitting right over there, you can ask her after the church. I have my own struggles in this. Because you want to know why? Satan's like, even the pastor of the church, man, we want to make him struggle. Don't let him be vulnerable with his family and lead his family, man. There's a lot of different things. There's a lack of leadership of men in the church. There's a lack of leadership of men in this church, and most of the time, it, you go down to kids ministry, leading the next generation, man. I'm so I'm so amazed and I love it that most of our large group teachers. Uh, our, our men, Mr. Pops and Mr. Ben, and they're elders of our church, and and there's lots of other men that are leading kids, Mr. I love that. Because most of the time you go to churches, it's just women that are down, and there's nothing wrong with that. But what it shows is that there's a lack of leadership of stepping in on the side of men in the church. There's a lack of le- there's a there's a lack of men engagement. I already spoke to it a little bit in church. It's just fun sometimes to sit as we're singing, and there are countless places in the Bible where it calls us to sing out to the Lord and make a joyful noise. And I'll tell you, most of you men in the room are probably making noise than music. That's okay. But it's it's just fun to be a part of church, and you look out, and you're like, nope, not doing it. This music's too loud or it's not loud enough, or I'm not gonna, I can't sing, like, make me look weak. And I could never lift my hand to God during singing. That would just be weird. And there's a lack of engagement of men in the church in spiritual things. And man, if we wanna see change, man, I'm just telling you, it starts with us. Saying, man, I, enough, enough. I'm, I'm going to spend some time with my family in the Word of God. But you know what? Before you can spend time with your family in the Word of God, you've got to spend time in the Word of God. Before you can pray with your family, you have to be a prayer. Someone who goes before the Lord. So I just go back to my question, what are you known for? Are you known as a really hard worker and that's it are you known as like a really good athlete are you known as a really wealthy individual whatever it may be the Apostle Paul says man church of Ephesus Timothy make sure express this that the men in the church should be known for their spiritual passion as they lead out in the different areas of life. And man, I don't wanna just like talk to you men today, I just wanna tell you, like encourage you today, tomorrow's a new day, today's a new day. Man, if you've been in your family and and your kids are now getting older and you've never really gotten into that role of like being a spiritual leader in your home, tomorrow's a new day. And don't go out and be like, go home, I'll just tell you, don't go home and be like, hey guys, We're having a family meeting. Every night, everyone, 8 o'clock, we're reading 10 chapters of the Bible, and we're going to pray for an hour. Yeah. I'll just give you a heads up, you'll fail. My family struggles to read like a chapter, but you know what I've learned? And I think I've shared this before with you, is one of the things I've learned in the process of, uh, I started working on a CrossFit gym a a number of months ago, and I went there and was really overwhelmed, seeing all these people, super strong, doing all this stuff, able to do all these things I never could with my 40-year-old dad bod. But you know what? I don't have to do what they do. I start where I start. So you know, a long time ago, I used to tell people, you go to the gym, you want to be a superhuman, and you put all this weight on it, it just falls in your chest. No, you might just need to start with the bar. You know how challenging it is to start with a bar when girls in the same gym are doing twice as much weight you have? It's fantastic. But at the end of the day, growth happens over time. And after eight months, man, I feel a lot better than I did before. And I promise you, after five months of committing to be a spiritual leader in your home, starting with small things, just praying together, man, God will make a way. He'll he'll start growth. So what does it look like for you as a man to step in as a spiritual leader and say, man, I want to be known for my spiritual passion. I want to be known for that in my church. I want to be known for that in my family. I want to be known for that before God. What does that look like for you? And last week, we said that the church should pray when it comes together. So I just want to take a break. Amen. I just want you to bow your heads, women too, and I'm gonna pray for you. Ladies in the room, if you'd do me a favor, would you pray over the men in this room as well? I'm just gonna pray for them, I wanna pray over a man in this room. And all of it, some of you might be killing it, that's awesome. You look like the people that have been working out at the CrossFit gym for 10 years, that's awesome. But some of you may not be, and I wanna pray over all of you right now. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for today, thank you for grace, thank you for a new day, thank you for, there's always tomorrow, But may we not use that excuse today. God, I pray for some men in this room that as I began to talk, they know exactly where they are. They maybe feel conviction or maybe they feel shame today. God, I ask that you would cast down all shame and just bring about encouragement as they set forth to be the men that you've called them to be in their homes, in their workplace, in this church, in in all the areas of life. God, would you fan a flame of passion for you in the places that we need it Lord and every man in this room might he leave here saying man God I want to do better tomorrow better might be with the bar but at the end of the day God I just want to do better would you do it God we can't do it without you in Jesus name amen well that's awesome and guys I'll just compel you if you need more help in what that looks like I'm always here Alex is always here Other staff members over here, we would love to process with you as to what that looks like and how God might help. Well, after speaking to men, now um, the Apostle Paul turns as he's writing to Timothy. He speaks about women. Now, here's where things get more interesting, and I want to speak to some other cultural nuances within the passage as well. So read with me. In verse 9, likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel... With modesty and self-control, not with braided hair. Someone's taking out their braids right now. (laughs) Not with braided hair and gold or pearls and costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Verse 11, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. And let let not, excuse me, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to be quiet. Remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, and Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness and self control. So not only should men be marked with spiritual passion, women should be known for their gospel substance. That's what I want you to see next. That women should be known for their gospel substance. So he starts now, he says, likewise, which really he's just connecting now what he's saying to what he previously said before about men, and just as men in Ephesus are to reject the prevailing culture, so now he's saying to women that they ought to do the same. And he's speaking to it here in real, real ways. And he's saying, man, there's, 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 a, there's an issue, obviously, within the church of Ephesus, where women were known in the church for their shallow, maybe fading beauty or focusing on their externality, on their fine clothes or their hairstyles or expensive jewelry, and and now the Apostle Paul is speaking that. And he's not saying, I'll just be clear, he is definitely not saying that women should should be, um, you know, vow poverty and you shouldn't do your makeup in the morning, don't do your hair, and like when you come to church, like any of that, that's not what he's saying. He's saying at the end of the day, they should be known for their gospel substance, for their love for God. They should be known for things like the fruit of the Spirit, as you notice he says there in verse 9, self-control and modesty, right? At the end of the day, and, and there, there's some things that you, if you, without research, you wouldn't necessarily know. In the Greco-Roman world, braided hair Listen to this, braided hair was actually thought to be as a work of art, and they would do it in such a way that it would go literally inches above their head, interwoven with with gold chains and pearls and extravagant things. And so the idea of what Apostle Paul is speaking to is women would come to church and they would be more focused on getting the attention of other people than focusing their attention on God. That women were more focused on like, men look at me and distracting people from actually seeing God because they're seeing them. You know, it's not like as you left the house, you see your daughter. Any other day, Sunday, you cannot have braided hair. Like, th- this, isn't, this isn't what this is saying. The Apostle Paul is speaking to the issue there in that day. Because there's women in the church that were focusing more on themselves than they were on God. And he says, man, no, I want you to be women that are dedicated at the end of the day to good works. Things that are suitable, as he says, for women who profess godliness. And then in verse 11, let's just get into it. Verse 11, it says, let women learn quietly with all submissiveness. Man, I just want you to know, women are meant to be learners. He's saying that they, they should learn. The implication here is that a woman should be a disciple of Christ just as anyone else who's committed to learning the Scriptures so well that they're able to apply them to their life. And Paul wants all the women in Ephesus to be um, progress in their learning of Scripture and the knowledge of God so much, though, that they can max, maximize their good works for the kingdom of God. But I'll just tell you, at the end of the day, this is a call. I'll get back to it in a moment. This is a call for discipleship, for women in the church to know the living God deeply and fully, that they might serve him faithfully. As one commentator wrote as I read it, he says, Timothy is to ensure, the Apostle Paul's writing that, Timothy is to ensure a worship setting in which women are encouraged to embrace the call of discipleship in their lives. What he's saying i'll go back to this verse in a moment and continue in verse 12 as well it says i do not permit women to teach or to exercise authority over a man rather she is to remain quiet man i'll just be completely honest with you it'd be easy for a church just to, to jump over this passage and not deal with it but at the end of the day this is the word of god and i want to walk with you through it that we have a proper understanding of what it looks like for us as a church and the apostle paul is at the end of the day saying that the women in Ephesus should have an attitude of quietness and all submissiveness to the spiritual authority that God has placed in their life. Now, it's super tempting in our Western world to instantly think of abuse. That men are to rule over women and say, you're to be quiet and tell them what to do and all that, and I'll just be completely blunt with you, this passage has been utilized for that purpose and it's wrong, and it's broken, and it's misogynistic. It's a lot of different things. But understood in its proper context, it's actually beautiful, and God-honoring, and good. At the end of the day, just looking at at the, the word used here in when he says quietness, it literally means quietness or rest. And I want to point to something. It rarely, if ever, refers to a blanket, prohibitive policy against spoken expression. This is an an attentive silence, is what it means, an attentive silence for the sake of giving someone a hearing. And so what he's saying at the end of the day, and I'll get to it in a moment, why he's sharing it, is that women in the church are also, even as a man, is, like you are right now at the end of the day, to be quiet in a sense of teaching when someone is teaching for the purpose of learning and growing as he just shared. And in the case of verse 11, the someone that it's speaking of would be the Ephesian church leaders of that day instructing the congregation in Christ. And so the Apostle Paul is actually calling not for a total verbal silence from women, that's not what he's saying, but for them to exhibit a peaceful and gentle attitude as they learn. Now, In this message, we're going to teach a little bit more than I'm going to inspire you because I think we need to deal with some of the nuts and bolts. And at the end of the day, there's a couple of things I want you to consider from these two two verses that I want to share with you. It is really, 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 really hard to express how radical this is. For them in the first century, how radically countercultural the words of verse 11 would be to the hearers of the first century church. Here's why. Typically, women were not permitted to undertake any formal education, nor were they invited to the table of discipleship. And when the apostle Paul says to Timothy that women are to learn, it's actually like a, power, a statement of empowerment that women should be in the church learning and growing in their faith. And Paul is boldly declaring that Christianity is not a place of misogyny. It has order and structure. I mean, even Jesus, you look at his life, he diminishes and demolishes this culture by affirming that Mary, remember the passage I even, I preached on it last year, had chosen what is best when Martha was running around and serving. Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus with the other male disciples and Jesus responds and Martha's like, hey, tell her to come help me serve tables. What women would have done at that time? And Jesus says what? I will not take away the good thing from her. You see, Jesus sets a course for the apostles and all who would later follow him to empower women through learning and to expect that their learning would produce good works that would bless others on Christ's behalf. There's another thing I want you to just point out for a moment, is that Paul is speaking against, really, the female-led cult of the Temple of Diana. Now, if you want to read about it, you can yourself. Back then in Ephesus, in this pagan region of Ephesus, the, the main thing in the center of town would have been the Temple of Diana. And it was a, a cult that was run by female priests, and they would oversee authority on to all the men in, in in that cult at the end of the day really and, and, and it's actually one of the wonders of the early world Massive if you go read about it and so Paul in his culture that he's speaking to in Ephesus is making a point And we don't want to oversell that But he's making a point for us to respond as I asked you in the beginning like man I'm always wrestling with like at what parts of culture do we adapt or not and in his culture He's speaking to say man. This is the way it may be out there in Ephesus But at the end of the day, this is where God is and this is how it's structured He's saying I believe there might have been some women who were used to that that were being very domineering in the church and not doing what the Apostle Paul had just shared and even usurping the authority of the church in that place and I found this helpful when I was when I was studying. One writer said this, Paul's not calling for an absolute silence, nor is he forbidding women from using their gifts. Indeed, Paul allows women to speak in the church when it's under the proper place and how he structures the church in 1 Corinthians you can read about in chapter 11. So what is Paul referring to specifically in this passage? Well, I want to read something for you. Craig Blomberg, a great writer, says this, if Paul's not prohibiting women from all forms of teaching, men in church, and if he is not prohibiting women from exercising all forms of authority over men in church, what might the role, the one role of authoritative teaching be that he has in mind? Well, we don't have to look very far. Next week, actually, we'll be looking at it to find a convincing answer. In the very next chapter in First Timothy, Paul addresses the leadership office of the church, overseers, and it appears probable, therefore, that the only thing Paul is prohibiting women from doing in that verse is occupying the office of overseer or elder. And the early church, and they didn't have programs like we did I tell you guys this before a couple weeks ago. Like there was, there was not bunches of churches. There wasn't like Woodside and Kensington and King of Kings and all these different churches. There was the church of Ephesus. That's why it's Ephesus and Thessalonica and Corinth. There was just one church. And so they didn't have, and they met in homes. It was, it was much smaller and it wasn't, it wasn't like this. It wasn't programmatic. So they didn't have things like kids ministry and student ministry and college ministry. So I'll just say this. The only application we can be confident about is that men are meant to serve as the overseeing pastors of the church from this passage. Now, before I get to any application for a moment, in verses 13 and 14, I just want to deal with them. I told you it's a bit more teachy because I want you to understand what we're talking about. In verses 13 and 14, I just want to read them for a moment to be abundantly clear. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam is not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in the faith and love, and holiness, and self-control. So, this by no means, the Apostle Paul is implying, that women are inferior intellectually, or in their moral capacities, or any other way. We are all made in the image and likeness of God equal. So, to imply such a thing would be a contradiction to what he's already said. What Paul's doing is he's going back to the created order of Genesis, where God made Adam, and then out of Adam he made Eve. And I'll just tell you, what he's pointing to is Eve's sin was overturning the created order in really instructing her husband, and Adam's sin was really, his sin was overturning the creative order and being passive, and he's the one who actually heard from the Lord. He's even worse off because the Lord directly told him what not to do, and he did it anyways. At the end of the day, what the Apostle Paul is getting at is that the essence of Adam eats sin, what he's pointing to was that the overturning of the creation order. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying, that we might not do the same. And he says that women are saved through childbirth. And you might be looking at it, you're like, what does that mean? I'd love to know too. No, I'm playing. I think, I think, at the end of the day, there's a number of different views. I think this is probably the best and the easiest. If you remember in the very beginning, we call it the proto-evangelium. It's the first sign of the gospel in the Old Testament, Genesis 3.15, where, 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 where the writer of Genesis says that God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's speaking to the snake, to Satan. And between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And, and what the Apostle Paul is doing, he's pointing actually back to that. And he's not saying reference this reference isn't to general child giving or birthing it's a particular birth he's talking about that it's the birth of jesus christ that is promised seed that is to stomp on the head of the snake and at the end of the day what he's saying is women and men are to be saved as a result of childbirth mary when christ came into the earth and he's saying that is our hope the gospel at the end of the day that women are actually a part of the redemption process in bringing the Savior into the world. And I just want to land on a couple of things for you today. First, man, this passage is not about male or female super- superiority. It's not at all. I'll tell you what, man. In college and in seminary for myself, I was homeschooled so I can't say it in, in, in high school. But my classroom was always benefited from the grading curve of the women in the class. Amen? Every time. I would say my sister, but she wasn't in my class. Men have been outtaught, outtalked and outdone by female counterparts all the time. Man, this, this, this passage isn't even about females or about stability for leadership, whether it's male or female, at the end of the day. The statistical fact is that women read their Bible more and Christian books more. We've already talked about this. They attend church more. They're more involved in spiritual things. They're actually more relationally oriented and more empathetic. They're more intuitive to about where people are. They're more verbal, really, naturally, in communication. This isn't about suitability. Furthermore, the church leadership isn't about power and strength. To be honest with you, it's about dying. It's the opposite. When the Apostle Paul talks about ministry, he says this, we are always carrying our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our moral flesh, so that death is at work in us, but life in you. Man, at the end of the day, All this is in the word of God, it's about the fidelity of God's word. At the end of the day, it's about inviting God's word to shape our lives and our church and not the winds of culture. At the end of the day, it's about living the good and given created order that God gave us out of his own character and his own goodness. And so now I just ask ladies for a moment, I just want to ask you, what are you known for? Are you known for your uh, your beauty? Are you just known for some other thing? Are you are you known that you're a good athlete? Are you known that you're a uh, uh, um, uh, what are they called these days? Uh, um, uh, working mom? Um, not not what's the phrase I'm looking for? What's that? No, I'm looking for a uh, a boss a boss mom, right? Like you own your own business. Man, you're known as like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a woman leading in a, in a male-dominated career. Are you known for that? Like, it doesn't matter. What I'm getting to at the end of the day, what are you known for? And if it's known for those things, man, I just want to press on you. It, those things are great, and I hope you're killing it. My question is, are you known at the end of the day, as the Apostle Paul is calling us to, are you known for gospel substance? Are you known for walking with the Lord? Are you known for following after Jesus. Because just as a man, I will call you to be a leader and to follow after the Lord. Women, man, I want to call you to lead in the way that God has called you to, and and actually to to flourish in following Jesus. And that's what God calls us to at the end of the day. And so as we land the plane, man, God is calling us, you and I, the church, here today, to fight against the cultural norms, to swing one way or the other in And follow after the heart of God, which is found right here for us. With gospel substance. And man, what I love, even as we're going to end in a moment in singing. I love that as we sing, like, I want to be more like Jesus. Everyone in this room can say, I want to be more like Jesus. When I do weddings... Almost every time I read from Ephesians chapter 5 where it calls men to love their wives like the church and lay their lives down for the church. That literally my job as a husband is to wake up every day and say, how can I die for my wife? And women, to respect and submit not we won't get into the whole passage but love her husband walk with her husband and just before that i'll just let you know man like two chapters before it says that we're supposed to submit one to another so men, as we walk in faith you know what jesus did jesus called what we're the example in the passage is that we would husbands be like christ and lay our lives down for our wives like christ did the church man that's our example can i tell you ladies what did jesus do as well Jesus submitted to the will of the Father, gave up all of his own rights, left all of his beauty and his worship and his glory in heaven, put on human flesh, came to earth, gave his life on a cross, was spit on, beaten, his beard torn out, and all of the sins of the world placed on him. Then he rose victoriously and he was honored greatly for all of time as God of the universe in heaven for all of time. Jesus knows fully what it is to lead. He knows fully what it is to submit or give reverence and respect and love. And he is with us all as we walk forward in obedience and following after God. Every single day, we can all wake up in every moment and say, Lord, I want to be like you, Jesus. So even as we finish, Lord, I go to you. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? God, thanks for today. Thank you for... The opportunity we have to open up your word for the beauty of it, that we can leave this place singing and saying, Lord, I want to be more like you. God, I I ask that you would work in our hearts and our lives to become more like you. God, I pray over every man in this room that they would wake up tomorrow and say, Lord, what does it look like for me to be more of a man that's passionate about the things of God? in our homes, in our churches, in our workplaces. God, I ask that you would do the same thing with the ladies in this room. That they would wake up tomorrow and say, man, God, what does it look like for me to live out your kingdom in the places that I live, that I would be deeply formed by the word of God and the gospel. And may we function in this beauty, God, women, not looking down on men, men not looking down on women, but all seeing our part in the kingdom of God to push forward the kingdom of God for your goodwill and your purposes. And may our heart be pure and sane when we leave this place, God. I want to be more like you, Jesus, less of me, more of you today. In Jesus' powerful name we pray, amen.